0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is your co-host, Robbie Martin. So, Robbie's actually in town. We haven't done a podcast in the same location for a while. He's in town. Uh, He's in New York. He just got back from D.C. um, for a really special event um, on the heels of the release of part three of his awesome uh, documentary, A Very Heavy Agenda, part three, Maintaining the World Order. What were you in D.C. for? Tell us. It's a really crazy story and people need to hear this.
1: Um, so two months ago, I read an article in Foreign Policy magazine by John Hudson um, saying that they had gotten a early leak of an event that was being officially listed on Hillary Clinton's campaign website by the young foreign policy professionals, <laughs> um, and the theme of the event was Foreign Policy uh, Professionals for Hillary. Foreign Policy Professionals means think tank <laughs> people, obviously. So, uh, and the event was actually hosted by Robert Kagan.
0: Your favorite person.
1: Yeah, the person that I've been obsessed with. And anybody who's listened to this podcast, um, even just a little bit, knows that the concept of a very heavy agenda is based off of Robert Kagan's family. Um, So, of course, after seeing this, I was like, damn, I kind of wish I'd had more time to make the movie because i could have put this into the movie because it's such a perfect way to sort of like tie up the plot and part set the three. stage
0: really quickly robert kagan's a, a huge neocon ideologue thought leader in dc that's driven a lot of a lot of terrible foreign policy from the Bushers till today right so he's putting this fundraiser on for hillary clinton
1: yeah i mean he's basically one of the biggest people who helped sell the iraq war like the, He created a lot of the intellectual underpinnings for why we needed to wage the war on terror, for why we needed to attack Iraq, for why we needed to be aggressive against Russia. And the only reason he's different from these other neocons like Bill Kristol and Dan Senor and some of those other people is because he now overtly has supported Hillary Clinton over Trump. Right. He's the first major D.C. Republican to actually overtly promote her. And this fundraiser was foreign policy... Professionals like Robert Kagan explaining why Hillary Clinton would be much better for their agenda <laughs> in what Kagan calls maintaining the world order than Donald Trump, and uh, I mean, and Donald, and uh, Robert Kagan actually wrote a really influential editorial that went around to a lot of liberals that I saw on Twitter and kind of spread around the internet saying that Trump will be bringing fascism to America. So part I find funny, and I bring this up in part three of a very heavy agenda, is that I believe that a lot of these neocons were mostly responsible for bringing fascism to America. And Mm -hmm. fascism really never quite left after they really accelerated it after 9-11. And they're all trying to detach themselves from that trajectory now, and acting like Trump is this evil representation of the Republican Party. When it's really, I mean, it's more um, definitely a little more xenophobic than what they were trying to put out there, but I think that it's just really important to remind people that their, their neocons are largely responsible for putting out all this Islamophobia after yeah. 11 because they needed to do it to help us dehumanize Iraqis, Afghanis, and other people we were killing in the Middle East. That's all they wanted to do with it. Trump is actually using that rhetoric against them and he's making it backfire back into this more isolationist position that we need to like lock down our borders to stop ISIS from like getting in and killing us. And like not like spend money on other countries because what do they do for us like so he's actually in some ways stolen the wind out of the neoconservative sails and
0: uh, yeah and and like fed on the paranoia kind of like with the yeah use their par- yeah, yeah, paranoia yeah, totally, too so
1: totally. and th- the strangest thing ever is that this is almost not news to people that mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton is actually reaching out to. And there's a, been a bridge built between her and the neoconservative sect of Washington, D.C. And that's extremely disturbing. It's horrifying, actually. But the problem is a lot of these neocons like Kagan, the reason they're different from Crystal and Dan Sinor, is because they've rebranded themselves into being this like weird class of liberal interventionists who are really concerned about the future of Europe. And, and like human the, rights. Yeah, and human rights in Europe mob, and Russian yeah. aggression. Yeah. And, They're like really focused on Russia and Putin mostly, and this is what this event was about. It was about how we need to strengthen the transatlantic relationship, um, that we need to keep maintaining the world order, basically. Um,
0: Yeah, Yeah. and it is really interesting on the on the heels of, or not on the heels, but you know, this happened right before Hillary and basically picked her vice presidential nominee.
1: I know, and who was like the most milk toast. Like, so much more milquetoast than anyone, I mean, (laughs) that I could have even imagined. It's so bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's like everyone was thinking, okay, who's she going to pick? Is she going to pick, like, a Latino guy? Is she going to pick Elizabeth Warren? You know, like, how crazy would that be if it was a a woman to women, like, VP and president? It's like, damn, and, like, someone who's, like, a Bernie Sanders person. But it was the complete opposite of that because people were thinking she was going to pick someone to bolster the Bernie Sanders you know, the lack of Bernie Sanders ideals in her platform So it was like, okay, someone to even out the playing field To say like, look, I might be pro-Wall Street But like, this person's going to be really hard Even though we know the vice presidential um, person really has no power Like, Biden really didn't have any power, of course Unless the president dies But in the case of this guy What was his name? Um, Tim Klein What the fuck is his name? Tim Kane. Tim Kane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take that part off I'm going to read it up <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting because this event um, happened days before Hillary announced her vice presidential nominee, a running mate, rather, um, a man named Tim Kaine. And up until this point, people were wondering, okay, who's she going to pick? Is she going to pick like an Elizabeth Warren type to level out the fact that she's a Wall Street shill, um, someone who's like strong on you know against Wall Street? or Are they going to pick like a Latino or a black person um, or another woman um, to kind of bolster the progressiveness of, of that she's lacking? You know, in her conservative platform. But unfortunately, she picked like a milk milquetoast, um, just another kind of old white guy named Tim Kaine. And I'm not saying being old and white is bad. But what I am saying is it's like the opposite of any progressive person that she could have picked. Like literally, I mean, it almost seems like she's just trying to cater to Trump voters. Now, at this point, like trying to pick up some like Trump leaning people because the guy's personally anti abortion. I don't care if he's conservative leaning
1: people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people who might be like disillusioned with Trump and then who are conservative. Yeah, exactly.
0: People who are like, I can't vote for Trump, but like, you know, and then like leaning toward Hillary, but don't really know if they can support her. Well, she's definitely trying to put that out there right now. I mean, this guy. He's personally anti abortion and that's really all you need to know. I mean, in the twenty first century, two thousand sixteen, you're gonna be personally anti abortion and call abortion murder. It's like it doesn't really matter what you're too. It's like too. it's fucking nuts, dude. And you're doing damage. I'm sorry. Like I don't care if you have a good score from Planned Parenthood because you've like supported pro choice legislation. You're fucking anti abortion in this day and age? That's that's kind of crazy, dude. Um, so that's insane, and also, and he's did you see, pro- Planned Parenthood TPP? endorsed her. Like, it's he put insane. that little
1: tweet. You saw that, right? Yeah, it's insane. Which is almost makes me think Planned Parenthood is. You know, everyone says like these politicians are in the pocket of Planned Parenthood. It's like, crazy. they're in the like they're in the pocket of like Hillary Clinton. campaign yeah, to, to do that,
0: it's like they know that they, they need had, the funds. Yeah, or something. exactly. I mean, yeah. they just know that Hillary's their safest bet. And then, like this guy, also is a, hilariously is so pro TPP that he was even talking praises of the TPP just days. Be- like earlier. Um, you know, so Hillary flipped her vote on that and was just like, oh, I'm totally going to vote against the TPP now. Well, look, they're not releasing the emails about the TPP until after the election. Clearly, she didn't only support it, but she helped draft it. Um, I think that's really obvious by now. Otherwise, why would these emails be being withheld? So Hillary's just a complete shill. The TPP is going to completely undermine all sovereignty of all the 12 nations involved. It's insane. This guy is totally for it. So. Not only that, but he's voted for, you know, all the interventions and, and testified on behalf of WMDs in Iraq and all this shit. So, you know, it's, it's just a total shame that she really missed the boat once again. Well, it just, it just <laughs>
1: seems like she's making s- several maneuvers at once trying to appeal to all these different sectors right. of the conservative movement that have, that have decided that they don't really like Donald Trump that much or that maybe they're not going to vote for him at all. Yeah. And it seems like an incredibly bizarre and risky and fantastic strategy to try to pull off this. I mean, I say this late in the game because it feels like it's been going right, forever. Right, right. But it's actually, I was heard the other day on the news that this will be historically the longest general wow. election of all time. So wow. it's not—it's like not just the longest feeling primary season of all time. It will wow. also be because it ended like they already picked the nominations this early. Like, apparently they picked nominations later
0: like at, yeah, yeah yeah
1: like so that's actually interesting that we're now gonna be what almost six months damn we're not six months like
0: four months five months yeah man it's been it's been hell seriously like yeah. and it was so weird to see the political and media establishment treat Trump Trump like a pariah you know do everything like plotting conspiring to try to get him out broker the convention all this stuff and then to have the convention happen to have kind of like a measly attempt to like you know undermine these votes at the very beginning and that was like clearly shot down and then just to have everything switch like the whole tone of everyone just switched and all of a sudden it was like all right like trump's family's great look at how polished they are he's so presidential this is all like very everyone's just like accepted this is fact it's just so surreal to me i feel like i'm living in the twilight zone like I almost missed the days that everyone was just like freaking the fuck out that Donald Trump was gonna be like a could be our president and I'm actually thinking as the days pass like that he actually will be
1: could be well this is the interesting thing for me is that <laughs> the media has never been this adversarial towards yeah. like, someone who seemed like they're gonna gra- right. like this inevitably gonna grab the na- nomination and unfortunately most of it was phony and mm-hmm. like overly emph- like they're overly emphasizing the wrong things yeah like there were certain things that I can understand that they would have covered for like as they happen, especially, like, the violence at the Trump rallies, but they were definitely fixating on certain th- things because they, like, hate. it. I mean, they, that right, was right, how much they right. freaking out. So, you know, and I hate to say, like, you know, Alex Jones, the only thing he's right about Trump is that the establishment is, for some reason, on some level, still freaking out about him. Right. But that doesn't mean that he's good. That's the that's the Right, pattern. right, right. It's that's like you can't, you can't read into that. But it is interesting that it, you can still see that and what you're talking about is that like once he became the inevitable nominee it was almost like well we have to almost like we have to be polite now because it's almost like we it was almost like when they were doing that they still probably thought that as the media they could probably take him down right
0: right right and now
1: they're like well he is the nominee so
0: now we need to secure our future access so the
1: contrast is really obvious where it's like for a normal election The media would vet a candidate publicly and be harsh on certain things, but like it wouldn't shift that much after they become. So it's almost like it shows it's kind of more evidence that the establishment is really overly freaking out about Donald Trump. Like they've never really freaked out before, at least on him. Yeah, and I mean, and all the
0: people. I mean, if you're like a corporate media pundit and you want to secure access for future interviews and you know how volatile he already has shown himself to be. And been like, all right, like I'm Mm -hmm. gonna bar you. I'm gonna like, yo, I like you. You're great, you know. And it's like they know that, and it's so fucking obvious just how scared everyone is.
1: And he's almost like really crazy. And it's almost like by creating that sort of hyper reality that we were talking about last night, that he's like made it so that journalists who are even just a little bit nice to him, he expresses like all this (laughs) gratitude and love for. And journalists who are remotely critical, he's like, that's garbage. That person's like a a loser. They're a hack. I mean. That has done some... Like, just think about how powerful... Like, how much power he has to make the media react in kind to it. Because mm-hmm. it's almost like, not just do they want to take him down. It's almost like they're emotionally feeding into mm-hmm. his hostility. Mm-hmm. Like, they want... It's like they, they're, they like, so eager to, like, get a... You know, but the weird thing to me is, even with that, I've never really seen an instance where Jake Tapper or Anderson Cooper really got, like, a major... Gotcha moment where it was like i f- where I felt like Donald Trump was going to walk out of an interview mm-hmm. why haven't mm-hmm. they done that? Mm-hmm. You would think that you're a reporter if you hate him this much, why haven't you tried to get him to walk out? That's mm-hmm. not you said to be really rude, you know yeah, like the people have done that countless times right, to be, right, right there have been we have seen we have both seen media appearances where it's like you know the reporter planned to make it that to make the interview uh atmosphere hostile right. enough where they would want to walk out, yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, like yeah, Stephen yeah. Colbert has done it to people. Like, even in his... Like, he did it to Richard Branson that one time. Where, like, threw a glass yeah. of water in his face. <laughs>
0: so,
1: like, there's definitely ways to do that that aren't very hard. Right. And, like, what Anderson Cooper's best gotcha was, that's an argument of a four-year-old that he said to Trump one time. Yeah, I mean, That's the best, that's literally the most adversarial... Right.
0: Well, these people aren't real journalists. I mean, I know. It's, it's crazy. Like, they talked about the Melania Trump speech thing for four days um, and it was so obviously staged. I don't want to get off too much on the RNC cause we're going to definitely get into the RNC and the DNC and the DNC leaks um, after this. But I really wanted you to first talk about, you know, why you're here, this event that you went to, because it's a huge scoop. I mean, we have this ideologue neocon thought leader in DC who hosted a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton that you were one of very few people in attendance. And um, you heard him say some crazy stuff, um, and we wanted to, to get into that. So, let's, tell us what what it was like. Like, so set the set okay. the scene for I'll us. I'll give I'll
1: just give you a little like fly on the wall uh, storytelling of what yeah. <laughs> of what it was like. Okay, so I, I, you know, when I when I bought the ticket to this event, it was basically the ticket was a donation, a fairly large sum. You know, more than like a ticket for a concert, let's yeah, just yeah, say. Yeah. I don't want to say how much because I'm embarrassed because this money went to Hillary's campaign. <laughs> but I did it for a good cause. And I'm sure that, you know, if I worked for an outlet, I probably would have been reimbursed for the ticket or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't want to say any more about that. But uh, so, so I went to this thing. I went to the hotel room about three hours before it started uh, just to kind of get my bearings and scope out the location. And the the event was supposed to take place on the Cambria Hotel rooftop in Washington D.C. Uh, so of course when I got to my room I went to the rooftop bar just check out the you know the balcony, and I was like immediately like a little bit jarred and kind of like I got like a sick feeling in my stomach <laughs> when I walked on the balcony and saw how goddamn small it was. It was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. sliver. Yeah. of a hotel rooftop balcony. Yeah. Compared to like the standard where we just were it, it yeah, was literally yeah, yeah. like one fourth the size. Yeah, yeah. And I had already saw all the badges out that they were putting <clears> out <throat> on the table for like the VIPs. I saw Robert Kagan's name. <laughs> I saw my name, V I P. Um and then so uh after I after I read this article in Foreign Policy Magazine about this event, about the ticket, I told Ranya Kallik I was going. Um, she lives near D C so she she decided to also go and then we were like well if we're gonna go together and be like the only you know people who are gonna be crashing this from the outside we should probably like scheme you know and at least yeah. like strategize a little bit yeah and so just for a safety like if any either of us get like too nervous or like you know yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. start freaking out at least like there'll be someone else there we can kind of run run back to and like hide or something yeah but uh and then she was way more nervous than I was when she came and like met me at the hotel. But then, like when I actually w- like started to like walk into the event, I got way more nervous than her. Like, <laughs> our, our like anxiety levels flipped. And <laughs> then gotta she get that was like, "Can you?" She kept like trying to get me to go talk to him <laughs> because we saw him um, first saw him in the hallway. I was like, "Oh shit, there he is, Robert Kagan." And then, uh, and then somebody's like, "The VIPs thing already started. You guys should go up there." And we were like, "Really?" because we didn't we weren't told that the VIP thing was actually supposed to be before the event official oh, time. Oh,
0: and 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 this was the whole reason that you bought the ticket. It to was. have this VIP event where you can have a one-on-one with Robert Kagan, which is so surreal. Yeah. I mean, you can ask him anything. It's like he's treating you like this peer. You're up on this private rooftop with him. So that was this And ticket. he immediately
1: can see the based on your name tag that you donated. You you your designation on your name bus. tag was, was based on how much you donated So, like I donated, like, the second highest amount. Um, not second highest, second lowest. So it was, like, the... It wasn't the least expensive ticket, but it was, like, the next one up. And, like, I think that that's why... What I'll tell you in a little bit is, like, why when I actually tried to approach him, it was, like, very much easier than I yeah, was Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Um, because I kind of didn't realize this. I wasn't fully... Now that I've been to one of these events, now I understand sort of the more... The psych- psychology and, like, the dynamic of how these people sort of... Uh, what do you call it? Just like so, not socialize, but like build connections, yeah, like build yeah, connections, yeah. and kind of like shoot the shit and yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. policy. Like we were having small talk, like when Ronnie and I first got on the rooftop, we saw Kagan kind of like chilling in the back, drinking a glass of water, and uh, we just were like making small talk with this with these other two people who were like really worried about Trump, and they were like, yeah. they were just all, it was just funny to like hear what the level of political yeah, discussion yeah, yeah. with these like insiders were, and it was obviously very low and very like generic Democrat you know Um, and we were just trying to play play the role and then I realized that that was the VIP event which is before 6 o'clock because the event said it started at 6 no one told us hey go up there that's you're a VIP you know that's the VIP time and it's going to be over soon no one told us that so luckily someone like right before the VIP time was over was like you guys should go up there Cause like we, apparently we had almost like an hour, yeah, where yeah, we could yeah. have already been up there, and right. I didn't realize that. So we fucked up, man. We fucked up. Um, but luckily, uh, I was able to like build up enough courage to actually talk to him when we went back downstairs before he spoke, and. Uh, and Rania was like nut, like nudging me and she was like talk, she's like talk to him now's your chance now's your chance she's like you're not gonna have another chance and I kind of like
0: it's <laughs> good that she did that cause yeah because you know, I was
1: I mean I was like way, way more nervous than I thought I was gonna be um, but as soon as I kind of just like had an opening like he was talking to like a group of people right next to me and as soon as I had an opening um, I had like three or four different questions in my mind like yeah. two of them are like extremely hostile aggressive ones which which would have just made him really upset and made him, like, clammed up instantly, you know, yeah. or gotten, like, mean. I was going to, I had those ones where I was going to ask him about his dad and brother saying they wanted ground troops in Palestine. Yeah. Um, and asking him why he thought Saddam did nine eleven and if he still believes that. Because he said yeah, there was an overwhelming amount of evidence. Um, so, you know, but, but honestly, I felt like I know how he would have reacted to that. Like, he probably would have gotten mad, and it probably would have been, like, a good video clip or something, yeah. like, fun. Like, we are change style. Yeah. You know, in your face. So, but then it also would have taken more balls. So, because I didn't have that level of balls <laughs> yet, I kind of, I start, I was like, okay, I'm going to start nice. So, I, t- I touched him on the shoulder. I was like, Rob, Robert, <laughs> big fan. And then he's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> nice to see you. It was just the weirdest, like. Way for him to respond I mean it was just so surreal Because first I thought Well there might be Like a very Low likelihood That he'll recognize Who I am And know that I've made This documentary about right. him But probably not Right But I was still thinking That could be a possibility And that You know He would immediately be like What the fuck are you Like just right, like, right, Kind of right. just like Why are you here But no He was like
0: But wouldn't they have Vetted your name On like the RSVP If well, that was
1: Rania did it too Yeah And they didn't well, that's what I was telling Rania. I was like, it would almost be a story in and of itself of if we got an email back from the Hillary Clinton campaign saying you can't go into right, the event. Right, right, right. Like, then that would like. Yeah. So it's almost like they had to let us go in, yeah. even if they did vet us. Yeah. So we didn't. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we crashed it, but we didn't. We paid, and we actually didn't like do fake names or anything. Yeah. We just blended yeah. in visually. Right. And just we didn't lie about our names. We just told people. We actually told people our professions. We just didn't mm-hmm, give specifics. Mm-hmm. So it was like the least like. You know, manipulative way to crash an event you can possibly imagine,
0: so do we want to play this clip right now of yeah. Kagan?
1: yeah, let's just so let's, let's hear just play it. it,
0: yeah, my brother recorded this um and it sounds really good, and it's just this crazy conversation he had with Robert kagan um- what, um husband of Victoria Newland, <clears throat> and yeah, so that sets some context of what what they're talking about here,
1: yeah well, so there's a part of a very heavy agenda, two and three that just based on my own research and not just my own I mean a lot of those movies were based on a lot of other people's research as well but part of the story about the Obama presidency and his dynamic with the neocons that I felt like was being wasn't being told very much in the media or just in sort of like the modern narrative of what's going on with his administration was that he's seemingly dragging his feet in Ukraine or he decided to back off Kind of like Syria, like he did with Syria, but different. Like because with Ukraine, he, the House voted to send in weapons, either two or three times, overwhelmingly, and the only thing stopping it was that in the clause, yeah, there was a clause in the bill saying that he could decide when uh, he sends the arms, like or even he could decide not to. So there was actually like an out in the bill where Obama could just be like, hmm, you know what, mm-hmm. not going to do it, and for some reason or another. Uh, almost a year, or longer than a year after one of those first votes that passed, he has not sent the weapons. So, you know, based on my understanding of it, it seems like he this is his way of, like, staving off or, like, putting the brakes on what he sees as, like, an escalation of a dangerous situation between us and Russia. Right. So, that's good in my mind, but it's, like... Because I dislike Obama and his foreign policy so much, it's like hard. It's been hard for me to even like come to that conclusion. So, you know, having the opportunity to talk to Kagan mm-hmm. uh, and ha- and kind of hearing the weird disdainful tone, like he liked Obama a lot at the mm-hmm. beginning, and then mm-hmm. he was like almost kind of like mocking him later. You know, like when he was asked what he was feeling was meeting Obama, what kind of guy he was, and he was just like, well. You know, he had a less presidential quality than you would expect. He just kind of had an ordinary guy quality when you were in the room and he didn't have the presidential aura, like our gravitas. It's kind of like just showing like shade. Robert. Yeah. And I mean...
0: You disheveled, frumpy Yeah, and he, dude. well, yeah,
1: I mean, I don't want to, you know, he was actually, I was better dressed than Robert Kagan, and I fucking <laughs> dress like shit most of the time, so that was actually weird going to DC and like the main celebrity of this event who was talking was poor, more poorly dressed and disheveled than like almost everybody else there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his pants were too long. Um, he just kind of had a pretty generic shirt on like something from J.C. Penney. His <laughs> jacket was a little bit like too big. It didn't look tailored. It was just an odd mishmash of like a weird kind of get up that he had. Um,
0: but... He's like a slightly mad scientist, Yeah, think? sorry, but I went off on a tangent
1: there about... I mean, basically <laughs> what I was saying is that I used this little inn where he was talking with a group of people, and I kind of finally had a... There was a pause in the conversation, and Ronnie had stopped elbowing me. And I just kind of, like, knew that I needed to ask him about that Obama thing. Uh, I just, like, that was the first thing I felt, like, asking him was, why did you know, what's Hillary's approach going to be in Ukraine, and why did Obama drag his feet? Because that's really, I mean, that's the most simple way I can say it. Um, so let's listen to it.
0: Yeah. Hi, how are you? Yeah. Nice to see you. I want, I want
1: to know... I you
0: know what you're saying was that like, Hillary's, like, a first-team, is going to send the rest of the I mean, I, I mean I, I, I'm sure, if you have some fat questions, I don't know, but I, I know she cares a lot about Ukraine, and she cares more than the current president, right? so why did you think Obama had such a raggedy speech? Uh, uh, just he said to me, he doesn't want to get into a nuclear war with Russia. That's Yeah. I don't think he does what he's talking He cares about who at all he's a tough person. He makes good tough But he makes himself a national he the training part of our experiment, It means more than It means to us, and therefore we've got, we shouldn't escalate in the situation like that. That's why I am to that. He you know? actually says he's afraid of it. I don't want to have a nuclear war on the train. So my energy is <laughs> what I need to do on nuclear war. You want to have a nuclear war over the snow? Do you want to be? I'll go down to the list, Germany? Yeah. Yeah. If you're going in position, you know, okay, fine. Don't ever play in the nuclear countries. Don't want to deal Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Isn't it so typical him? though, yeah, 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 yeah. based on like what? Yeah. Okay, so basically, so what? What is your first reaction to? I mean, what it was just
0: exactly how I'd picture him being. You know, just like candid and just being like, whatever. Like, she he doesn't want that. Then whatever, we'll just go to Estonia. You know, we'll have a nuclear war over Estonia. Ha ha ha. Yeah. You know, just like mocking Obama and just being super arrogant, but also just candid because he knows that he can be. But the and he thing just is, in this circle, you know, it just
1: almost seems like even if. It's supposed to be off the record because it said in the email. This is supposed to be off the record, but it wasn't obviously because we're playing a recording. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is that uh, it's it's just um, it's odd to me that he would feel so free of telling me something that he privately obviously had a conversation with the president Right, about. Right, 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 right. So that when we said we have like a scoop today and an exclusive, I mean, basically um, from what he just said. Uh, is that he was told by Obama that the reason Obama dragged his feet in Ukraine, which validates kind of this little bit of a mystery, which, you know, is mm-hmm. not, it's actually been mm-hmm. validated by an insider, uh, because he doesn't want to escalate, n- he doesn't want to have nuclear war with Russia. Like, he didn't just say he doesn't want to escalate a nucle- like a military confrontation with Russia, he said he doesn't want to have nuclear war with Russia.
0: That's how serious he knows that the no-fly zone and all these wep- the weapon shipments would be. That's how dangerous this is, and and it really it proves that Obama, that really the buck did stop with him, in this instance, that Obama actually said that. I mean that that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think um, that's good, obviously. But then what's scary about it really is that he only has a few. It, it's like even if that's, let's give Obama points. Yeah, on that's that. like
0: best case. Yeah
1: he's not going to be in office for much longer. And do we think, I mean, based on what Kagan said here, he's like, I can't tell you, I can't answer the, you know, if Hillary's going to send the weapons or not, but I can tell you she cares a lot more about Ukraine than the current president. I mean, so, and based on, like, the speeches and, and sort of Robert Kagan's point of view that he was putting out, I mean, this is the thing, Hillary endorses on a large like uh, on a on a certain level Robert Kagan's point of view about our responsibility to Europe and sort of the Baltics and all that stuff and like why we actually need to like be constantly posturing aggressively towards Russia like whenever we can that's the scary thing is that I don't think Hillary has that same whatever you want to call it caution concern you know I don't wouldn't even call it thoughtfulness but just like obvious Worry of not to escalate a situation.
0: Yeah, let's let's decipher this language here for a second. Robert Kagan says, um, "I don't know if Hillary's going to send the weapons to the Ukrainian army, but I know she cares a lot about Ukraine, and certainly more about it than the current president does." I mean, that's you know that's a lot of coded language right there. Like you're saying, um, she's going to be much more aggressive. If we thought things were bad already, mm-hmm. I mean, shit, like already the tensions are so high there. Um, I can't even imagine how much worse it could possibly be on the ground in Ukraine right now. So that that's pretty disturbing. That he's like, yeah, she clearly cares a lot more than Obama does. It's like, yeah, he didn't care enough. Like, he didn't arm enough neo-Nazis on the ground. You know, I mean, this is this is really dark stuff here when you're talking about what he's really talking about. And not only in Ukraine. I'm sure if you brought up Syria, if you had the time to, if he didn't ghost on his own event, um, that he would have said similar stuff. And actually, one of the instances where I think... One of Robert Kagan's actual talking
1: points got through to the DNC or even to Hillary's camp while she was still actually Secretary of State. The most obvious moments of that was when Hillary compared Putin to Hitler, yeah, and said this yeah. is reminiscent of the 1930s when uh, he made move. It's the fr- it's like just that concept of saying the first time ever since World War II that like someone has tried to like change borders in Europe. It's like these subtle. It's not even coded. It's just a way of. Drawing a loose parallel Basically saying that Putin is Hitler
0: That's a really interesting point Is the whole Putin Hitler thing Because it seems like That's a main point Of why they hate Trump so much Or at least Robert Kagan Because like Trump yeah, yeah, would yeah. not take The same approach on oh, Russia And that's not. like his main yeah. thing Yeah Yeah um And also, the thing that Trump just said about NATO, how he was like, Yeah, he's like, well, you know, I'll help NATO states if they, like, fulfill their obligations to us and pay us. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And the interesting thing was they did not <laughs> Which is, like, that. unheard of. You yeah, know? That, that was, like, one of the most shocking thing that the neocons were really upset by the day before uh, the um, this event. Because that was the. What night did the RNC was that Was that night two? Uh or no, that was an interview that he did. That was an interview, yeah, yeah. That yeah. came yeah. out at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And the neocons were like, well, this means that he's a Russian plant, obviously, <laughs> yeah. which we'll, we'll talk about that a little yeah. later when we go into the RNC, but, um, yeah, no, it's just so, it's so interesting that, that these people didn't even, it's, I feel like they were still trying to figure out their, their um, approach to it, because they didn't even mention it at this event, but they were basically, and I don't want to play, I'll play a little bit of this Robert Kagan speech in the episode, but basically what Kagan was saying in his speech... It, he was almost, like, condescending. He was, like, you know, besides the people in this room who are, like, young foreign policy professionals who have studied up on the alliances we have with all these European countries, like, nobody who's, like, young no, you know, knows about any of this stuff. And, <laughs> like, you know, you have to, like, remember this stuff to care about it. So, like, you know, I don't blame people for not knowing, but, like, people aren't, you know... He was basically saying that people aren't educated enough to understand why this post-World War II, um, like military alliance
0: between us, Japan, European why, countries. Why do we keep escalating, like, our fucking military presence? Yeah. And well, it's here, like, yeah, well, he, obviously, I can understand why a lot of people don't realize how dangerous communism was. Yeah. And how much we still need to just saturate the entire, like, post-Soviet states with our fucking NATO presence. Like, why? Well, let me Robert? read
1: you a quote from the speech that he's... This is a speech to a room full of Hil-
0: Hillary Crazy. Clinton donors.
1: Who cheered and laughed at the speech. He said... People have to remember that in the absence of that structure, the structure of the world order, uh, we saw what happened in the first half of the 20th century. Two world wars in both theaters, and it was the American commitment to move beyond its own borders and not think narrowly about its own interests, but to regard its interests more broadly, to becoming in effect a European power, with American forces in place to keep the peace and becoming an Asian power, with American forces in place to keep the peace in both regions. Before that, they had both been engaged in cycles of warfare for quite some time. It was really the American role in sort of putting the plug in some of those conflicts it was created, and it has created the extraordinary period we've been living through.
0: Wow. So first of all, he's he's, um, giving America credit for ending World War II. And defeating Nazi Germany. of course, I mean, it's, like, crazy.
1: But not just that, but, like, keeping the peace since. Keeping the peace since, yeah. Through our basically turning Japan and Germany
0: into puppet governments. Yep, and then just creating this, like, um, center of power of all these empires that we just, like, reign supreme and rule. We don't have to abide by any treaties. We just violate all these different international structures and just... Yeah, I mean, we're the moral arbitrators of everything, but it's because we keep the peace, and we're just supreme.
1: And it's almost like it's the ultimate neocon way to box people in, because I I think 99% of the neoliberal and GOP establishment would agree with that way that he just worded it. The wording is very careful. It's like very matter-of-fact. Like, well, this is so obvious. You know, it's like...
0: Well, liberal he's interventionism it, is pr- predicated on that. Exactly, notion.
1: it's like he's bringing back this sort of neocon ideology, the underpinnings back to its like to the to its like most basic form, so that nobody could. It's like the hardest to argue against ver- mm-hmm. variation mm-hmm. of it for these foreign policy establishment people.
0: Let's also go over what he said about Estonia because that that needs to be kind of um, digged into a little bit more. Um, he's saying if we, if, if Obama doesn't want to go to war over Ukraine, nuclear war over Ukraine, right, then he'll just go to nuclear war over Estonia, basically saying that Russia's going to be so aggressive and Putin's never going to stop, you know, seizing land and, and doing this stuff to, like, taunt NATO, that he's just going to keep going into every neighboring country until he's just taken over, right? Yeah. So it's basically just reverting back to this 1950s Red Scare mentality, um that's really what he's saying I mean it's masked in this kind of weird language but it's mm-hmm. the exact same rhetoric
1: and just the weird, his weird casual detachment and talking about it, it's really interesting because it just shows how much in a bubble some of these people live like it's like where is like? There's, it's like don't you understand and empathize with Obama's fear of escalating right, into right, a nuclear right, confrontation right, right. Almost like it's almost like he like doesn't yeah fine do what
0: nuclear countries don't want us to do
1: I mean and to me that's just a strange thing that not enough people are talking about it's like, yeah, this is a nuclear power who has a lot of experience in this kind of like stand in just this kind of like I don't know, like the 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 sort of like escalating and like playing these games with us. Like right. it's not like another country with nuclear weapons like Pakistan, it's Russia. It's like the country that right, we were right, right, right. hidden in like a nuclear confrontation with since like the nineteen fifties. Yeah, exactly. I just don't understand.
0: It's completely arrogant, Um, shocking that this happened, and even weirder that, you know, you were going to talk to him again, and he just literally just ran away. I mean, he put on this event. It's really surreal to see him standing in front of Hillary, right, red arrow signs. Um, But, um, yeah, and then he just bounced, right? He just left his own event, like, really quickly after his speech. He did,
1: but I did get a chance to ask him one more thing that I didn't uh, record, but I asked him do you really I kind of like this is the only like slightly challenging question I asked him but I don't I didn't get a chance to really like challenge him more but I said do you really think Trump is going to bring fascism to America do you really think that and he's like yeah I do Um, you know I think it's really unfortunate that people you know the only the only way they'll they'll recognize fascism if it's a guy wearing you know Trump doesn't have this funny mustache and he doesn't have a funny haircut and he doesn't speak German (laughs) ha 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 and he kind of like looked around and laughed as if Like, that was, like, a really good point, and I was like, but what do you, I was like, but how, what aspect of fascism do you mean? And then he just basically just made this very vague generalization that Trump will irreparably uh, damage our democracy, as if the neocons didn't already do that. It's just so interesting that he can't see that, or he doesn't choose to, or that he just doesn't even care, to think... Gitmo, torture, the Patriot Act, the Stellar Wind, what is that if it's not fascism? What what do you call that? I mean, and and the telecom immunity bill, that's fascism. That's the corporations being given immunity for colluding with the government to, to take away all our privacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't understand how that's not fascism to these people. So... Yeah,
0: mean? it's almost like they just think that the embodiment and like the literal embodiment, which is like someone actually just saying what they have their policies have been doing. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so creepy yeah, about yeah, it. It's yeah, like yeah. it's just very odd. It's like Trump is the internalization of what they've been exporting for over 15 years. Yeah. He's like um, the manifestation of like their it's like the internalization the paranoia The regression of like we don't want this Nation building but we want to be xenophobic And build up our nation kind of thing And so they don't like that um, And that's why they're just freaking out and they know Fascism is a really loaded term they know people Don't really understand like a, a Lot of nuances about it and so it's easy To just be like Trump's a fascist but we Are absolved like we just want moral We just want to arbitrate Morality and democracy um, You know we're going to demonize And fucking demean and and um dehumanize Muslims and brown people all over the world but we're not you know and collude with corporations to exploit and extract resources everywhere but maintaining this world order but we're you know the empire is good it's benign so it's just very interesting it's like it's really interesting to see this play out and especially in light of these DNC emails um because they actually were passing around a Robert Kagan
1: oh, yeah, article but, oh yeah if you look in the DNC email leak that just came out uh for Robert Kagan's name the Trump is bringing fascism to America article appears 35 times in the leak and they are like trying to extract key talking points from it and one of the talking points is that like Donald Trump is drumming up anti-semitism and it's not even really something that Kagan laid out in his article they're just like well this is a really influential guy it's saying that Trump is a fascist so let's make him seem hitler and like he's gonna like kill the Jew. I mean it's kind of like mm-hmm. bringing up those emotions I mean it's right. really visceral stuff right um, really fascinating that they're that desperate, but also this is also an interesting yeah. signaling. I just r- remember this from his yeah. speech that it might signal a new what the neocon 3.0 era might look like if neocons survive during a trump in, like a Trump administration. What they'll be doing and and Robert Kagan says here, I got to tell you quite honestly that if Donald Trump wins the election. The transatlantic relationship would be item number 10 or 20 on my list, given the threat that I think he poses to our democracy, which is fundamental, and if America is capable of electing someone like Donald Trump and he does behave in the kind of way that I think he will behave, our ability to lead, our ability to show act as an example, and our ability to have close relations with other democracies is going to be severely damaged. So, it's actually interesting that he's saying that not only is he going to try to, like, if Trump wins, that the trying to, like, repair these relationships for their democracies will be a focus. But, like, almost like him trying to repair our democracy will be some... Like, he's almost like neocons are acting like they're going to become civil libertarians and, like, stand up for civil... Because because
0: Trump is making a mockery of this sham system that they've been legitimizing for so long. You know, they've been holding it up with their, like, elitism, you know, and, like, this inner thought dialogue. <clears throat> and shaping all this policy, and then someone like Trump just comes and shatters this whole perception for them. Like basically exposes how insane their rhetoric is in a bad way. You know, it's not really like he's doing it intelligently, <laughs> but like at the same time he is in a way. Um, so I think to them it's like the ultimate slap in the face. Um, but at the same time, them sh- their shifting support for Hillary is like exposing them. It's just complete shills as well. It's it's quite a sight to behold. I I really. Just really entertained this whole year. I mean, also scared. But and it's know. also
1: it's just so scary too. That this is just <laughs> this event is just another example of how no matter how bad Obama was, no matter how mm-hmm. how many awful things he helped perpetuate and the things that he like codified, like the Bush era neoconservatism, which we've talked about extensively. All that being said, he's still going to be better on foreign right. policy than which Hillary. Which is really scary. Which is which is uh, yeah, it's awful. I mean. She is more of an embodiment of neoconservative foreign policy than Obama and even Joe Biden, John Kerry. Like, there's really Someone no other said Democrat. she was on
0: par with John McCain in the National she, Security Cabinet.
1: She's more, yeah, she's more on par with John McCain and Joe Lieberman. I mean, that's the that's
0: the really and if war is your number one issue. Stop bullying people about this whole Trump and Hillary thing, because I'm sorry,
1: it's all superficial. It's all about what Trump is saying. And yes, he is saying... He's doing racial, racist dog whistle shit. I mean, that's... And that's really... And I can understand why people are reacting to that so... Like, and getting so worried enough or they're just like, we'll have to vote Hillary, but... You gotta just be honest. Like, you can't let this electoral... I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe we're lucky that we're so detachment. We've been so, like, detachment for so long that we don't... Mm-hmm. I mean, i I don't know. Like... I just notice so many other people when the nominations are picked. It's like all their whole content kind of switches towards, you know, carrying water. And we and I mean just this podcast. When is it
0: gonna come? When is it gonna come to an end, though? Because it's just outrageous. I mean, Keith Olbermann just tweeted at Jill Stein oh saying, God. "You're a threat." Um, for the good of everyone, like, drop out or whatever. I don't know, I'm not quoting him directly, but it was just so insulting. It was like, instead of attack, attacking Hillary for being basically a Republican warmonger, you're attacking the left for supporting someone who who stands with their ideals? That's crazy. It's like, why does this happen every time? And it's someone like Keith Olbermann that I actually really liked and I watched all the time, I thought he was one of the best people on TV calling shit out, and now he's just, like, one of those fucking uh, Bill Maher... Michael Moore, vote Dem, unite yeah. Blue. Like, this is not a time to unite Blue behind. Hillary is a third term of Bush. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's what we're talking about here. Trump, yes, he has crazy crazy racist dog whistling. All of the talk about, like, killing terrorists and their families, torturing terrorists and their families, it's completely insane. He'll obviously carpet bomb whatever he thinks ISIS is. But, I mean, when you're comparing that also to Hillary actually doing these things, I mean, Trump... During the RNC speech, was it was a horrifying speech? He kept talking about law and order and how he's going to eradicate crime. Um, very disturbing. But he also gave a, an epic monologue about Hillary and how she's just destroyed the Middle East. And said, "How what a shame what he what she did to Bernie." Yeah. He attacked
1: Hillary Clinton from the left.
0: Yeah, and he also used a line from the the documentary that Mike and I made about Hillary Clinton. I'm oh, yeah, convinced. That. I'm convinced that someone from Trump's this. campaign. Explain, okay, explain. so I think. If, any, if everyone's watched the Hillary Clinton documentary, you, you, um, you would have noticed that at the very end, there's an iconic line that's been quoted multiple times in memes and stuff. And it was great. Mike and I wrote, you know, as like, you can't support Hillary's bourgeois feminism because it's just leaving out like millions of immigrant women, poor people under her bombs around the world. So right before that line, um, we say that Hillary chooses the path of death and destruction every time. We also go into her Clinton Foundation donors and and talk like really specifically about all these colluding actors like that donate and then she rewarded with lavish contracts and stuff like that. Anyway, you know, it makes sense if you're working for the Trump campaign to be looking online at the most high rated, most viewed videos coming from the left, you know, criticizing Clinton and from the right, obviously, but like coming from the left too, if you're trying to pick up like these Bernie supporters, right? And anti-war people, because you know that that's like a selling point. And so, obviously, they s- someone from the campaign saw the video. I'm not trying to brag. That's, like, just, you know, there's not really that many people making, like, videos like this. And it's just funny because it's just a direct line ripped from the video that Trump has used in several speeches that I'm just convinced because it didn't happen until after the video. And after he started saying it, he started joining it with, like, other talking points from the video, like, going right into the Clinton Foundation sponsors, like... I don't know, it just seems really surreal. I might be completely off base, but like... I don't think, base, I don't think like, you are. It's, no, it's so funny. And like, just to hear Trump basically use the rhetoric that we wrote for this <laughs> line, and I was like, wow, it's crazy that... So his campaign is not as disjointed and like, no, retarded I, as no I No, they're super smart, dude. Look at, they just, they slayed 17 people, 16 people, I forget how many, 17 or 16. And then they also just have owned the media, putting out fake scandals, just completely owning shit. The Melania Trump thing, the the speech plagiarism thing, and then also um, Donald Trump saying that he was like, he just knows how to play this shit. He's a fucking celebrity. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Um, but to wrap up the Kagan event, you know, I, I wish I went, because I could have... I wanted to, like, just ask him. I wanted to kind of troll him, and, and I wish that someone would have just said, hey, this person made a giant documentary about your family.
1: <laughs> I know, and I, and I... The thing was... Like, how surreal I, was that? I didn't realize... First, how nervous I was going to be. And then second, how quickly he was going to leave after he spoke. Because the event was supposed to go for like another hour at least. And all the other speakers and all the other people stayed, except for him and his daughter bolted. Yeah. I mean, ghosted, really. I didn't see them say goodbye to anybody. They were the first to leave. And then as I was leaving, I saw another person I recognized there, um, Hannah Thoburn from the Foreign Policy Initiative, who's actually in part two of A Very Heavy Agenda. Um...
0: That's good that she showed her support for Hillary, too.
1: Yeah, she was there. And then so was another just totally random guy who only has one line in a very heavy agenda. The title. Named Damon Wilson. He's the vice president of the Atlantic Council. Um, and uh, he says in a very heavy agenda, he's he's like talking to Victoria Newland. He's like, that's an incredibly heavy agenda. <laughs> so it's not a literal. He didn't literally do the yeah, titular, yeah, yeah, but yeah. The, the variation on it. But yeah, the other people who were there were Amanda Sloat, who's the Deputy Assistant Secretary, Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, and Julianne Smith, um, who was the Principal Director for European and NATO Policy in the Office of the Secretary of Defense of the Pentagon. And now she's on this thing called the CNAS, which is like a neoliberal think tank sponsored once again by defense contractors yeah. that just wrote a paper that's pretty much the project for the new American century, real, rebuilding America's defenses for neoliberals, written by her, <laughs> Michelle Flournoy, Eric Edelman, and Robert Kagan. And it's actually featured in part three. Wow. Very heavy agenda.
0: Amazing. Um, did you feel at all weird, you know, talking to him knowing that he had no idea who you were, but that you knew everything about really him and, like, his whole family. I mean, was that it was like, a little bit of a weird feeling?
1: It was really weird, and it kind of, like, I... It was just weird to be, like, he's a human being, like, right, standing right. across from me talking Making instead of this, like, object of my, you know, curious fascination of, like, a documentary right. subject. It was just, like, such a weird... I definitely felt like I was like breaking some kind of weird barrier in my yeah. mind like almost like I had to see him in person or something yeah um, but just how engaged he was and how candid about saying those things just was yeah. absolutely shocking I didn't realize the gravity of what it, what that was meant until like much later because right. I was just kicking myself for not handing him copies of my movie right and I actually had them ready to hand him And uh. They're just like getting the courage to. I was, and I I totally would have if he would have stayed.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check us. Peace. (laughs) Peace. Bye.